From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, good afternoon and welcome to this Friday edition of Washington Watch. I'm Jody Heiss, the Senior Vice President here at the Family Research Council and your Friday host. An honor to be with you. And I would be remiss if we did not begin this program as we observe Veterans Day today and throughout the weekend to say a special and heartfelt thank you to each of you who have served our country in uniform. We are indeed a grateful, deeply grateful nation and appreciate each of you and your service. So thank you and God bless you. All right, coming up on today's edition of Washington Watch, President Biden and Chinese President Xi Jinping plan to meet in San Francisco next week for what the White House hopes will be a step toward easing strained relationships between the two countries. And these two leaders met almost exactly a year ago, and at that time they spoke of the need for more direct communication. And of course, what followed if you'll remember that a year ago, was a Chinese spy balloon floating across America. And then there was the discovery of secret Chinese police outposts stationed on U.S. soil. So what in the world can we expect from next week's summit? Who knows? But I will be speaking here in just a few moments with China expert Gordon Chang. You don't want to miss that. And as we observe Veterans Day and honor those who serve, the Democrats have a message for our nation's military. That message simply is that they are willing and ready, literally, to sink the National Defense Authorization Act. That's the, the funding bill for our military. Uh, it has been passed every year for over 60 years, for over six decades. But now the Democrats are willing to sink it in favor of abortion. There is so much to unpack on this, and Congressman Matt Rosendale, who serves on the House Committee on For uh, Veterans Affairs, will join me here in just a few moments to break that down. And speaking of obstructing legislation, as House Republicans are trying to pass appropriations bills for government spending, they're facing some dissenting voices over pro-life measures in the legislation. There is not an extreme MAGA Republican policy writer that I think we would find acceptable. Are we going to agree to further criminalize abortion care? Are we going to agree to a nationwide abortion ban? There's not a single extreme MAGA Republican policy writer that we can agree to, in my humble opinion. Not a single one. That was House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries during his weekly press conference yesterday. But the sad truth is he's not the only one opposing pro-life efforts. There is a block of at least half a dozen so-called moderate Republicans who have drawn a red line over passing multiple appropriation bills over standard pro-life language, language that is straight from the Republican Party platform. Well, Kena Gonzalez, the Senior Director of Government Affairs here at the Family Research Council, will provide an overview of the strategy, including pro-life language in these bills and what you can do to help support this amazing development. 
And in response to the shocking rash of anti-Semitism that we're seeing take place all across the country ever since Hamas terrorists attacked uh, Israel last month, there is now groups of Israel supporters that have organized a march for Israel. It will be taking place on the National Mall in Washington, D.C. next Tuesday. Rabbi Yaakov uh, Minkev uh, is going to Minkin is going to be joining me here in just a few moments. He and I talked about an hour ago, and we, we recorded this earlier so that he could observe the Sabbath. But uh, Rabbi Minkin is—he's of course the managing director of the Coalition for Jewish Values, but uh, he's got a lot to share on this upcoming March for Life, and you don't want to miss it. So we've got a tremendous program lined up for you today. You don't want to miss any part of this special. Veterans Day edition of Washington Watch. The website, of course, is TonyPerkins.com in case you miss any part of today's show. Or if you want to check out past programs, you can do so there at TonyPerkins.com. And, of course, there are tons of great, great resources there for you as well. So be sure to check it out, TonyPerkins.com. All right, let's jump into our first topic for the day. As I mentioned at the beginning of the program, Democrats have now said that they are willing to block the NDAA, the National Defense Authorization Act, if it includes language that the Pentagon's illegal abortion travel reimbursement policy uh, is, is not dealt with. And this is uh, even policies like that coming from Texas Congressman Ronnie Jackson. And by the way, uh, not only would the Jackson Amendment force the Pentagon to follow the law, which is kind of like what they're supposed to be doing anyways, the Jackson Amendment would not only force the Pentagon to follow the law, but it, w- it would also allow Senator Tommy Tuberville to end his hold on military promotions. Of course, we know the Democrats are committed to abortion. But the question is, how far will they go in their defense of abortion. Well, joining me now to discuss this and more is Congressman Matt Rosendale. He serves on the House Committee on Veterans Affairs. He's also a member of the House Freedom Caucus. He is coming our way from the great state of Montana and the second congressional district of Montana. Congressman Rosendale, welcome back to Washington Watch. Great to see you. Thanks for having me on, Jody. Live from the ranch today, Glendive, Montana. where the deer and the antelope roam, straight from Montana. Great, literally. great to have you. Yes, I know. Literally, I love your, I love your beautiful state. All right, Congressman, let's get into this. After the Dobbs decision, the Biden administration adopted an illegal abortion travel policy, and of course, we've been dealing with that, battling that for a long time. But now, Democrat Adam Smith, who is the ranking member of the Armed Services uh, Committee. He says that, okay, we just won't have an NDAA. We won't have a military budget if it includes any language that changes the Democrats' policy. Uh, so give me your reaction to this. It's, it's, it's just crazy, uh, Jody. Um, you know, to, to what extent will the Democrats go so that they can not just make sure abortions are performed, okay? This is a step further. Everybody needs to understand that this is making sure that abortions are performed and that taxpayers' dollars, whether they support it or not, are forced to be used 
to provide the abortions, the travel, the counseling, everything. This is where the big problem lies. I can't control everybody's life. I believe in limited government, okay? I am 100% pro-life. I think that abortion is a terrible thing. I think you you do complete you take one life and you and you ruin another life, okay? The life of the mother. But to to hold up the NDAA in an attempt to force taxpayers' dollars to be used for these efforts, that is really, really wrong. And this is what you referenced it. Senator Tuberville has been holding up. Yeah, he's been holding up promotions for the uh, for the Department of Defense. And the reason has been is because they've got this rule, this this illegal rule that they passed. They ignored the statute that they're using taxpayer dollars to, to fund these procedures. And it's wrong. I've gone over to the Senate floor to stand beside my friend, Senator Tuberville, on several occasions as he's been holding these promotions up. And I will do so again until we can make sure that we get this straightened out. Well, good for you and several of your colleagues who have done that, have gone uh, over to the Senate chamber. But, you know, who is really being the extreme here? We I played a clip from Hakeem Jeffries a little while ago saying there is not a single MAGA writer that we would support. They're all extreme. They're all horrible. Who is really being extreme here? I mean, we have members of Congress literally ready to burn down funding the military in order to support abortion. This is uh, talking about extreme. That is, is it, uh, that is going too far. The, the, uh, the left, the Democrat left, has gone way, way overboard. They see this under the Biden administration as their opportunity to push policies that they've been keeping undercover for quite some time, and they believe that this is their opportunity to push these forward. That is why, with even with our slim majority, as you well know, in the House, as we pass the NDAA, it's the first time that it was passed with all Republican votes ever, Jody. And that's because it was an, an incredibly great document. We removed taxpayer funding for abortions. We removed taxpayer funding for transgender surgeries. We removed taxpayer funding for battery-operated uh, Jeeps. I mean, these are things that all they do is distract from the military's mission, which is to be the most effective and feared fighting force on Earth. That is what they are supposed to be. And anything that's being funded that is not taking care of that mission is nothing more than a distraction. So we pulled all of those Absolutely. distractions out. Absolutely. All right, so you you mentioned uh, the House passed the, their version of the NDAA, I believe it was back in July. How do you see that now, or is it going to be? Is there any way for it to be reconciled with the Senate version? Well, I, I'm optimistic as we uh, have our new leader now, Mike Johnson. Uh, you spent a lot of time with Mike, as I have. Tony has spent a lot of time with Mike. They've worked together, for, my understanding, for the last 30, 40 years. They did legal work for the uh, Alliance Defending Freedom and, and Religious Freedoms. And, and so what he's doing right now is crafting these uh, appropriation bills. We're bringing them forward, and we're trying to set up a scenario and utilize a strategy so at the end of this year, the Senate doesn't once again uh, jam the, the House of Representatives. Once again, the Senate doesn't pull the, uh, the uh, Lucy and, and pull the football away from Charlie Brown. And, and that's what we're trying to do is, is to get this because we've got good 
uh, appropriation bills. It's the first time in many years, and, and we should be able to tie in both the NDAA and, and some additional very, very important policy riders like our domestic energy production, like securing our southern border. Southern border doesn't need additional revenue, as you well know. What it needs is policies that get enacted. We saw them under President Trump. He enacted those policies. We know that they will work, and we should be able to do the same thing with the, uh, with the NDAA, which, by the way, Jody, will also help us improve our recruitment numbers, which have been terrible over the last couple of years over the Biden administration because the military has been so focused on these distractions, as I referenced earlier. Absolutely. Well, listen, we've only got about a minute left, uh, Congressman Rosendale. As we go out here on this Veterans Day weekend, uh, let me give you the, the final word here to express your appreciation. Uh, you serve on the Veterans Affairs Committee. What would you say to our veterans on this weekend? I, it is an honor to serve the veterans uh, on the Veterans Affairs Committee. Uh, my dad was in the Marine Corps. He's, he's passed away now. My younger brother was in the Marine Corps, Dan Rosendale. He's in Centerville, Maryland. Very proud of the service he provided. And what I saw was the sacrifices that that the family makes as well, Jody. So when I send out my Veterans Day uh, thanks and wishes to everybody, I always make sure that we reference the families as well because they are part of that team. Right. They make the sacrifices as well. And we thank them too. Congressman Matt Rosendale from Montana, thank you as always for joining us on Washington Watch. All right, friends, after the break, the White House has announced that President Biden and Chinese President uh, Xi Jinping will meet next week in San Francisco. Gordon Chang joins me after the break with his analysis. Stay tuned. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroicfaith. 
Again, that's frc.org slash heroicfaith. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Hope you've had a great week and happy Friday to you. I'm Jody Heiss, your Friday host, and honored to have you on board with us. All right, White House officials announced this week that President Biden and Chinese President Xi Jinping plan to meet next week at the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation Summit in San Francisco. And according to his advisors, President Biden is hoping that this meeting will stabilize the relations between the two countries. But frankly, given the many, many topics of disagreement and recent incidents that have further strained our relations, uh, you know, the question is out there, what outcome can we really expect? Well, joining me now to discuss this is Gordon Chang. He's the Distinguished Senior Fellow at the Gatestone Institute. He's also the author of The Coming Collapse of China, and recently released China is Going to War. You can follow him on X under the handle at Gordon G. Chang. Gordon, welcome back to Washington Watch. Always great to have you. Thank you so much, Jody. Well, listen, let's just, uh, let me just toss it out here for you. Give me your, your basic thoughts on next week's meeting uh, between President Biden and Xi Jinping. This meeting should not be held. It's not going to result in any advantage for the United States. You know, we've been talking to China intensively for three decades. And all over that time, China's behavior has only worsened. And so the question is, you know, is it responsible to continue a policy that has failed for such a long period? Uh, what more can Biden actually say to the Chinese that hasn't been set up to now? So I believe that we should stop talking impose severe costs for clearly unacceptable behavior and just just tell the Chinese we're done with that. Yeah, that would be a great uh, way to go into uh, to approach this whole thing. Let me ask you, Gordon, I, you know, I, I was kind of surprised at this meeting. Were there any hints that you were aware that this uh, meeting was going to take place or is it seem to be kind of a spur of the moment thing? The, the Biden administration has been desperate to establish channels of communication, as they say. And, and, you know, they did send four cabinet level officers to Beijing, starting with Secretary of State yeah. Anthony Blinken in June. So, you know, this is what they wanted. Um, and finally, the Chinese deigned to grant it. So, see, you know, right now you have Xi Jinping pulling the strings um, because Biden is just so happy that he's got the opportunity to speak to the Chinese dictator. 
Yeah, that is a great point that you brought out. This whole thing seems to be happening on their watch, under their time, under their wishes. They are they are leading this whole thing. It's not, uh, unfortunately, the United States leading. Let me throw something out that is a concern very much to me and I think to our viewers and, and uh, listeners as well. But this meeting is taking place almost a year uh, from the last time that, that these two met in Indonesia. And, you know, they spoke, as you mentioned, the need for more communication and all that sort of stuff. But since that meeting last year, uh, the tensions have only r risen. I mean, we had the Chinese spy balloon going across our country, gathering information. Uh, we, we had the espionage attempts in the United States, all this kind of stuff. Uh, what do we really expect here? And even the Taiwan situation, another, is that even going to come up next week, do you think? I'm sure that the Chinese will raise it um, because they want the Biden administration to reduce our contacts with the island republic. Um, but something that the president, our president, should raise is the Philippines. Because in Second Thomas Shoal, China's engaged in increasingly belligerent activity despite written warnings from our State Department that we are prepared to use force to defend our ally under the 1951 Mutual Defense Treaty. And yet that has had no effect on the Chinese, which means deterrence has failed. So it would seem to me that the Philippines has got to be at the top of the list. Now, I don't know if Biden will talk about it. The, you know, the problem here is that he probably doesn't want to raise a lot of issues that will anger the Chinese because American officials think, well, if we anger the Chinese, they'll stop talking to us, and that would be a disaster. Well, no, it wouldn't. I think it would be a great thing. Um, but the point is, that's not the way official Washington thinks. That's certainly not the way the State Department thinks, and it's not the way that Biden thinks. Yeah, and uh, but but it is the pathway that this administration approaches everything when it do, when it relates to our enemies. It's appease, 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 and somehow we think if we don't offend someone, they'll like us and they'll cooperate. But it just simply does not work that way, and that is precisely, in my opinion, one of the primary reasons we are seeing so much uh, an uprising worldwide. Uh, on so many different fronts. So you, you've mentioned some uh, some great things here. Just lay it out for our viewers and listeners. What are you concerned about? What concerns do you have as the meeting next week is apparently coming? You've said it shouldn't, in your opinion, happen at all. So with that, what are your primary concerns? The greatest concern is something that we have seen over and over again over the course of these three decades, and that is that we delay taking action that absolutely necessary to defend the United States and Americans because we want to have dialogue with China. So, for instance, take fentanyl. Um, they're going to set up a working group on fentanyl. Well, we don't need a working group. We know exactly what's going on, Jody. Um, the Communist Party fully supports the fentanyl gangs. Those gangs could not operate in a near-total surveillance state without the approval of Xi Jinping himself. And these gangs, they launder their money through the Chinese state banking system, and China's diplomats give them official cover. So we know what's going on. At least Biden should know what's going on. You know, what we should have is what uh, President Trump did in April 2017 at Mar-a-Lago when Xi Jinping was there. You know, Trump got up during the dinner after that beautiful chocolate cake, as President Trump said, and he announced, look, I've launched missiles on Syria, which, by the way, is a China proxy. And Xi Jinping was taken aback, 
and he was relatively well behaved uh, during the four years of the Trump administration. That's what we need to do. If we do that, then maybe we have some path forward with the Communist Party, but not certainly with the policies that Biden has been doing, has been implementing. Well, there are so many concerns, you know, not the least of which is a potential compromise that this president may have with the Chinese. And I mean, there's just so many, so many things. I, I couldn't agree with you more that this is one of those meetings that should not even be taking place. Gordon Chang, thank you so much for coming on Washington Watch. We appreciate it a great deal. I appreciate it a great deal. So thank you, Jody. You're very welcome. All right, friends, Rabbi Yaakov Minkin will be joining me after the break to discuss the rise of anti-Semitic behavior across the country and a very important march in support of Israel coming to Washington next week. So stay tuned. We'll be right back after this break. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroicfaith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroicfaith. Welcome back to this Friday edition of Washington Watch. Great to have you joining us. I think most of us have been shocked at the dramatic rise of anti-Semitism throughout the country. Unfortunately, we've even seen quite a bit of it coming from some members of Congress. But in the midst of all of this, we have some U.S. Jewish groups that have called for supporters of Israel to stage a massive pro-Israel rally next week in Washington, D.C., it's being called the March for Israel. It will take place on November 14th on the National Mall here in Washington, D.C. And joining me now to discuss this is Rabbi Yaakov Menken. He is the managing director of the Coalition for Jewish Values 
And I do want to say that this interview is actually not coming to you live. We recorded this a little bit earlier today so that Rabbi Minkin can observe the Sabbath. That being said, Rabbi Minkin, my friend, great to see you again. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Great to be with you. Well, listen, let's just jump right into this. Tell us about the event that's coming up next week. Uh, this rally on the 14th is actually even surprising to me how incredible the uh, everybody is, is, is coming out for this particular rally, that organizations that ordinarily don't participate in rallies or only do their own thing, here there's incredibly broad unity in favor of standing up at this critical moment to oppose anti-Semitism and support Israel. It really is amazing, and I know we plan to be there ourselves to show our tremendous support. But, you know, as you look at this, it really is a massive event. It looks like it's just turning into be a huge thing, and multiple groups from all across and individuals, of course, are going to be joining us. What are you hoping uh, that comes from this, uh, you and other organizers? What do you want to see as a result of this rally? There needs to be a pushback. I mean, look at, at America and college campuses, these horrific uh, celebrations of barbarism, the people who are backing the horrific rapes and murders that took place on October 7. And now they're out there in force calling for a ceasefire, which would be an opportunity for Hamas to regroup and rearm while the families of the hostages and, of course, the hostages themselves continue to suffer. A, a call for a ceasefire right now is immoral and wrong, and therefore it is important that those who wish to be a voice for what is moral and just and good stand up in response and say, no, Congress, do not listen to these people. Absolutely. You, know, I, I, you would have to be, as I am, I think most people are, absolutely shocked at the dramatic increase of anti-Semitism across the country and the protests of individuals that seemingly are supporting Hamas terrorists. It's just shocking to see uh, what has happened. On the flip side of that, I think you have to be encouraged as you see the response of people beginning, as you say, to push back against this anti-Semitism and even with this upcoming march it's got to be incredibly encouraging to see how people are beginning to stand up and push back. Well, it really is an inflection point for America. Uh, we're less than a century from the Holocaust. We know what happens when this, is when this level of hate is allowed to continue to spiral out of control. And I think a lot of Americans were shocked when groups like Students for Justice in Palestine and Black Lives Matter took their masks off. They showed you this was never about a Palestinian state or a government or, in the case of Black Lives Matter, about standing up against racism. Oh, no. The agenda here was hatred towards the Jews and the Jewish people and for values in general. And it's time for all Americans who still appreciate that values stand for something and that they, in fact, built this first world country and the world's preeminent superpower. Uh, that all comes out of a set of values that, sadly, these people do not share. And it's time for us to stand up against it. 
Well, and, and many are standing up against it. What was your take on the censorship of, uh, well, the, the representative from Michigan, uh, Rashida Tlaib, as she was censured for her anti-Semitic remarks? Uh, it, there's actually a key difference between censure and censor. She was not censored. No, she's allowed to spout her anti-Semitism. She's allowed to say what she feels. But it's all the more important to shine a light on that. Let her say what she thinks and let Congress censure her. What was most heartening about that was watching two, 22 Democrats cross the aisle to vote to censure one of their own because her comments were blatantly hateful. They were blatantly over the line. There's no such thing as a first world army that bombs civilians, much less a hospital, deliberately. Yet she made that accusation again and again and again, even though the army of the Jewish state has Muslim Arabs in it. She, she absolutely wants you to believe that it's the Jews who are the racists, while she is the problem. Absolutely. Real quickly, where can people go to get more information about the march coming up next week? Uh, there is a website unique for this item, marchforisrael.org. Uh, it is a collaborative project, again, between a lot of very large Jewish organizations that, if anything, you know, they were very slow to come to recognize how anti-Semitic the left, the progressive left, truly was. Uh, otherwise, uh, you know, we're going to continue posting bulletins of our own at uh, cjvalues.org or coalitionforjewishvalues.org. But I think marchforisrael.org is your best place. Great. Rabbi Mankin, always great to see you. Thank you for standing in the gap, and thank you for joining us on Washington Watch. All right, friends, after the break, we have a group of Republicans who are, uh, are obstructing some government legislation because it's pro-life. You heard that right. Who are these and why are they doing it? Stay tuned. We'll get to it right after the break. We'll be back. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. 
It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. All right, welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Jody Heiss, and we welcome you to this Friday edition of the program. All right, as we head into the weekend, I want to begin this last segment with just a reminder and an encouragement for you to join us in prayer for the new Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, and his family. You heard Congressman Matt Rosendale just a little bit earlier in the program talk about the incredible job that the speaker is doing, but also the enormous pressure that he's under. And I can tell you, I served with uh, uh, Congressman Mike Johnson, now the Speaker of the House. I served with him in Congress, and I can absolutely testify to you, uh, both in regard to his deep faith, his commitment to Jesus Christ, his commitment to his family, and his commitment and his love for our country. And the reality is right now there are so many issues that need to be urgently addressed, issues that require incredible wisdom and tremendous courage. And that's why we're calling on you once again to pray. And we're asking you to join us here at FRC in praying for Speaker Johnson We have a little pledge that we hope will be an encouragement to him. You can uh, sign the pledge by simply texting the word SPEAKER to 67742. That's SPEAKER to 67742. Or you can go online to frc.org slash house speaker. And again, we want to encourage Speaker Mike Johnson with a host of people, thousands of people all across the country who are praying for him. So we encourage you to do so, and thank you in advance for helping us out with that. All right, there are House Republicans uh, as a group yesterday. I say there are some, and really that's what it came down to, but they delayed a vote on the annual financial services, in fact, the general government funding bill. It was delayed yesterday after some Republicans objected to some pro-life provisions that were in the appropriations bills. Now, you heard that right, friends. Republicans objected to pro-life provisions. 
as California Congressman uh, John Duarte said, he said, we're just sick of every appropriations bill being a vehicle for some off-the-wall abortion policy. So they're sick and tired of pro-life legislation, in fact, referring to it as some off-the-wall abortion policy. So what were these appropriations bills, and what were some of the policies that certain members of the pro-life party, the Republican Party, what was it that some members of our party could not stomach? Well, joining me now to discuss this is Kena Gonzalez. He's the Senior Director of Government Affairs here at the Family Research Council. Kena, thank you so much for taking time to join me today. It's good to see you. It's good to see you, Jody. All right, so it's no surprise. We expect the legacy media is going to distort all of this. But this time, this failure to pass appropriations bills is coming with a lot of help from a group of Republicans. So let's begin. Let's just step back. Let's first of all talk about uh, the appropriations bills that have not yet passed due specifically to some Republicans uh, and their attitude towards pro-life provisions. It's really amazing, Jody. Um, the, the provisions that uh, some Republicans, a handful really, of Republicans objected to this week, uh, stalling uh, the second bill on pro-life concerns, really are not new. They're certainly not off the wall. Republicans have actually worked on this particular provision since 2015 and have passed it with overwhelming majorities either out of the House or with the support of the overwhelming uh, unanimously among the caucus or with all but one or two votes. So the idea that it would trip up a a bill is uh, is ridiculous. But stepping back to the larger process, every year Congress must pass 12 appropriations bills. This is how Congress um, appropriates uh, funding for all of the various functions of government. Uh, This year, with Republicans in charge of the House, There's been a concerted effort to do several things at once uh, that are very admirable. One is to trim the budget. We are way over budget. We spend far more every year than we take in. We run a deficit every year, adding to the national debt, and that's been a big focus. Two, uh, many Republicans have been focused on securing the border. We've been sending billions of dollars overseas to other countries, and yet our southern border is not secure. But three, they have also been working sometimes quietly behind the scenes, and now it's breaking out into the open, to pass some of the most pro-life, pro-family appropriations bills that we have seen in our lifetime. That's very exciting. And so we here at Family Research Council have been delighted to work with our friends in Congress uh, to, uh, to pass uh, pro-life provisions in these bills, many of which, Jody, just like Senator Tuberville's uh, uh, protest in the Senate, are really fixes to the Biden administration's radical pro-abortion, anti-family agenda. Well, that's right. And this is the Republican Party. This is the party whose platform is pro-life. And yet now we have a group anywhere from half a dozen, 10, maybe 12. We've got, we're going to get to it here in just a few moments to call out some of those that we know that have coming out uh, they're coming out strongly uh, on this. But what, one of the pro- problematic uh, issues, it seems, uh, one of the writers that 
seems to have been problematic is it involves the District of Columbia and the, uh, the Reproductive Health Non-Discrimination Act. But in reality, this could actually be used to force Christians and even pro-life organizations in the District of Columbia to pay for employee abortions. Isn't that what we're looking at here? Yes, it's, it's a little insane. So viewers might be forgiven for not knowing uh, because uh, they don't pay as much attention to Washington, D.C. as we like to think. We, we here in Washington like to think everyone's paying attention to us. But the federal government actually has a great deal of discretion and control over what happens within the District of Columbia. And so in 2014, after a year of debate and a hard-fought battle, uh, the local city council here in Washington, D.C., the district council, passed something uh, misnamed the Reproductive Health Non-Discrimination Act. It does almost none of those things. It has nothing to do with health. It really has nothing to do with reproduction. It has to do with abortion. And the bottom line is that this bill, it's a local bill here in Washington, D.C., is designed to force uh, Christian employers, including nonprofits, pro-life organizations like ours and others, uh, to pay for abortions, for elective abortions for their employees uh, under the rubric, under the guise of saying this is non-discrimination. We fought that battle at the local level. And then Congress had a chance in 2014 and 2015 to step in, which they did, and they passed, uh, Republicans in the House overwhelmingly passed a resolution condemning that and saying that that should not have happened. Uh, there, was, there was virtually no uh, Republican objection at that time. And so every year since then, whether Republicans have been in the majority in the House or in the minority in the House, Republicans have supported a policy rider which is what you call a provision that you attach to a much larger bill, the uh, Federal Services and General Government Fund bill, one of these 12 appropriations bills that passes every year. They've attached a provision to it regularly saying that this law, although in effect, cannot be funded and D.C. can't spend any money enforcing the law, effectively vetoing the law. This has not been controversial. There has not been an objection among Republicans. Democrats, of course, in the Senate, and then when Nancy Pelosi was running the House, did not allow this to become law. But Republicans, pro-life Republicans in the House, passed this every year, and moderate Republicans uh, never objected. So it's a little wild to hear them saying now that this is, quote-unquote, off the wall or crazy policy. This is standard policy. It's one of dozens of pro-life riders that we see pass every year. And that's right, and that's why it's like the the turning point all of a sudden. I mean, it, it, earlier this year, the the ag bill, the agricultural uh, appropriations bill, uh, failed uh, partly because of some of these same Republicans uh, objected to regulations on chemical abortions. I mean, so it's not just this bill that we're talking right now. It's it's like we we are watching a pattern right now. It seems to me, Kana, that that we've. It appears that there's a strategy by a handful of Republicans, whatever the number may be, uh, 6, 8, 10, whatever it may be, but a handful of Republicans right now, as it relates to appropriations bill, it is as though they are combing through this these things, and if there is any pro-life effort in it, that is going to be to them a line in the sand, and they are not going to vote to support it. Is that an overstatement in your opinion? It's not, and it's, it's surprising and it's absurd because many of these Republicans have voted for or have supported 
or have allowed these riders to go through in the past without any vocal objection. And so for it suddenly to become a big deal is really a false assertion. There are so far six Republicans who have gone on record uh, as opposing the FSGG, the Federal Services and General Government Funding Bill, on this very benign, anodyne, regularly uh, presented and regularly passed uh, provision that I just that I just um, described. And it's not. I think people sitting at home watching or listening in their car might think, well, that's probably one of the one of the crazy congressmen from you know such and such. That can't be possibly my congressman. But some of these folks actually ran as pro-life, so it's quite surprising to see them come out and tell reporters in the media. Um, uh, Representative, Can we name some of them? Absolutely. Yeah, okay, there you go. Yeah. Representatives Don Bacon from Nebraska, Anthony Disposito from New York, uh, John Duarte from California, Brian Fitzpatrick from Pennsylvania, Nancy Mace from South Carolina, Mark Molinero from New York. Uh, these are six so far. They're, they're there on your screen with their phone numbers. And Jody, to make it easier for folks to contact these folks, we have a number of ways that they can be in touch. Uh, there's a link at TonyPerkins.com where you can find out if your congressman is one of these. And if so, you can call them and email them and register uh, your objection uh, where we've laid out this particular issue. But to your larger point, this is a growing concern and a growing uh, pattern of a small number of Republicans, again, just a handful so far, who are willing to stand up and publicly go counter to the Republican Party platform. But if they go unchallenged, if they do not hear from their constituents that this is unacceptable, uh, this will grow. Um, right now, Speaker Johnson uh, has a very narrow margin in the House. He can only lose four votes. If he loses five Republican votes, he cannot pass a bill that Democrats oppose. And so, in a way, uh, you are in the House, but in a way, I've, I think some of these moderate uh, to left-leaning Republicans on the life issue have decided that suddenly they're senators and they can put a hold on the law. And that's just not how the House works. And so they need to be called to account. The House of Representatives is called the People's House, and the people need to call their House. Absolutely. All right. Listen, we've got uh, some viewers probably were not able to get the names down of some of or, or the phone numbers of some of those members and others are listening by radio. So let me uh, let me let me give out some more information again of how you can contact some of these representatives and you can find out whether or not your representative is one of these uh, who says they're going to be pro-life, but they get to D.C. and now they are obstructing great legislation because of pro-life writers that were in there. All right, the Capitol switchboard, you can find any member here, the number 202-224-3121. 202-224-3121. For those of you who are not watching and can't remember that number, you can text the word pro-life, pro-life, text that to 67742. Uh, you can go to TonyPerkins.com. Uh, you can remember that one. You can go to frc.org slash pro-life. So we've got multiple ways that you can try to get some information on this. And we must be heard right now. This is a critical time. All right, uh, Canis, our time is uh, slipping away. I spoke a little bit uh, earlier, a little while ago, with Congressman Matt Rosendale from Montana about the House Democrats' willingness right now to obstruct the NDAA, our military funding 
they're willing to obstruct that because of abortion funding. What are you hearing right now uh, with some congressional staffers as it relates to this issue? That is remarkable. I think you alluded in that, in that part of the show with uh, Congressman Rosendale to the fact that this is a bill that passes every year for the last six decades. We do not leave our military folks hung out to dry for any reason. And yet, Repub uh, Democrats in the House are now uh, signaling that they are willing to sink the entire bill over abortion. It's just remarkable. And I think it's important for our veterans and our military service members and families to hear today the truth about what uh, Senator Tuberville is doing. He has not put a hold on all military promotions and nominees that go before the Senate for confirmation. He has simply said that the Senate cannot bend its own rule and instead of considering each one one by one, uh, vote for them in block, where you could pass hundreds. You could pass 400 at a time if you wanted to, if all senators agree. But because the Biden administration instituted this very radical policy, months in advance, Senator Tuberville told them, if you do this, I will put a hold on these en bloc, these en masse uh, nominations, and you will have to do them one at a time. Um, it's really important that people speak up and let their, their representatives know that they want them to vote pro-life. Majorly important issues right here. Thank you, Kana Gonzalez, Senior Director of Government Affairs here at the Family Research Council, for your expertise and for coming on the program, unpacking all of this for us. We deeply appreciate it. All right, friends, uh, we need your action. We need you to get involved, and we've given you multiple ways of doing that and letting your voice be heard. Please pray for Speaker Johnson. Get involved with this abortion issue uh, and be heard. Happy Veterans Day. Happy Veterans Day weekend. God bless you. Keep the, keep the torch ablaze. We'll see you next week right here on Washington Watch. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.